0: Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to the Canadian Real Estate Investor podcast. Today we have a wonderful report episode, which is one of my favorites to do. And if you've been listening for a while, you know friends of the show, Urban Land Institute, uh, who we cover a lot of their events. Uh, we'll be continuing to cover a lot of their events. And um, we have, we typically read their reports on the show. Then they do this annual report, which is called the Emerging Trends in Real Estate. And it's it's quite literally just that. Um, so <laughs> it, uh, it talks about the trends that are emerging in real estate. And it's, it's more from, it comes from professionals in the industry who are paying close attention to this stuff. And then like they, they conduct a survey where like a bunch of real estate investors developers provide their opinion on what they think is going to take place
1: yeah i uh i love a lot of the stuff that uli puts out dan you and i've been both been going to uli events for i don't know a decade at this point stoked to be going to nyc later uh this year for their annual spring meeting, which is, which is always a great time. And actually we've got a, uh, it'll just be you and I for probably about the first, thir- first 30 minutes here, Dan, and then you jump out and do a quick interview with, uh, with a wonderful woman from ULI. Yeah. So yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the report. Yeah. So the report outlines what they are calling the great reset and an era, a new era in, in real estate. So kind of exciting stuff. And the findings come from, as you mentioned, Dan, uh, interviews with 209 Canadian real estate executives who by and large weren't as optimistic uh, as those who'd contributed the previous year's report, which would have been emerging trends trends for 2023. So very different sentiment, even by the 209 real estate executives and professionals going into this year. Yeah. So a prevailing theme was that companies will be cautious and
0: move slowly, with some pauses in investment and development over the next year or two until they see more certainty in the market. And and one of the big big ones is capital uh, availability as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get we get into that here. That uh, a year where everyone wants and needs money. But before we do that, I, I do love this quote from the report: "The greatest uncertainty creates the greatest opportunity." Yeah, I would agree with that. Totally.
0: Definitely a cool quote, something you can apply in your own life too. life is uncertain. We cannot predict the future. Therefore we live with the uncertainty on what happens next, which is why uncertainty can always provide the greatest opportunity. And I, I like the kind of like, uh, the worst case
1: needs a plan. The best case does not need a plan. Hmm. And that concludes your philosophy segment for the Canadian Real Estate Investor Show. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I love that too, Dane, right? It's basically like, it, for me, it's kind of like everything happens for a reason. Yeah, for sure. And, and th- it has been a pretty big roller coaster over the last few years in
0: terms of cost escalation, uh, rising interest costs, labor shortage, impact on housing affordability, and the um, effects of higher interest rates and the scarcity of capital. So it's it's obviously become, it, it, as a real estate investor, you've needed a lot, you've needed to be paying attention to a lot of things, more than probably than you ever have.
1: Yeah. And a lot of those things were usually things for the last few decades that, that probably didn't really play too much of a role in your real estate investing strategy or your investment thesis, such as, you know, labor costs through the roof, lack of, of labor, and then going into stuff like with the banks, uh, Bank of Canada's monetary policy, right? It seemed... We saw glimpses of optimism early on, but then after the tightening, the sentiment shifted back and forth. And we've seen really, you know, going back to roller coaster, we've seen a roller coaster of sentiment. It's really been all over the place. And now in this digital world, it I feel like a media and maybe specifically social media is is having a, a much larger presence and kind of guiding that, consumer sentiment more than ever before you've uh you've really put away the bull hat for uh for this year eh? oh, man spending a year and a half talking about real estate with you on this podcast has uh, has changed am, rubbing, I'm am still, i rubbing off on i'm you? still a bull i'm still a bull and i'm i'm just saying look there 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 may be false hope for the future now because there's a multitude of challenges uh for canadian real estate in the future but again with these great challenges comes great opportunities so again, back to the bull. Fair enough. So many are, are even thinking that interest
0: rates could stay higher for longer, we've heard a lot. You know, I think, um, I can't remember which central banker it was at the Bank of Canada, but she mentioned that interest rates would be higher forever. Um, oh, and, and higher doesn't mean that they're going to stay where they are, but it just means that they're not going to come down as much as I think a lot of people might need them to to make their thesis as viable and yeah so i mean this could like rates are going to have an effect on the development and investment and overall transaction volume well into 2024 and beyond and so and it's really it's it's a guessing game at at this point where it's like do you think that it, uh transactions are going to come back to 2022 highs well probably not if until unless rates get to 2022 lows right or 2021 lows so what and you like? I would it, it, I would literally just do a percentage. Okay, if rates are going to come down thirty percent from here, right? They're still ho- X amount higher than twenty twenty one. So you know, prorate it,
1: and that that's what like that's yeah. how I'm thinking about things. And then what does that do on that that weighted justice scale of housing prices? Right, yeah. like does yeah. that tip the scales the other way? Um, and it's with it's with thoughts like that that a lot of investors, developers, and real estate professionals alike are approaching this new world that we're in, right, this new era of real estate with a fair amount of caution. And Canadian real estate companies are focusing on things like value creation. And Dan, this is hilarious, because this again, this is right out of the ULI report. But this is stuff that you and I have been saying for quite some time. So... Again, Canadian real estate companies are focusing on things like value creation by optimizing existing assets. So this goes to show, again, create value within assets, but also make sure that your existing assets are performing at their highest and best use. They're also investing in digital transformation and addressing such trends as generative AI, ESG performance and housing affordability. But they're cha- facing challenges as well. But I mean, you know, Dan, we just did an episode on prop tech. And these were some of the same themes that the venture capitalists, the real estate professionals as well as the prop tech founders were all looking at right like how do we use these this new technology to affect affordability how can we use such things as as ai or new building products to to increase that affordability and and to transform what is again a kind of a more archaic practice in real estate and construction and bring it into that new era right there's a lot of talk about this new era well new era should mean new things new practices New, new best practices, right? so i'm I'm excited to see,
0: yeah, yeah, I am as well. and it seems like those hoping for opportunistic and distress deals might be disappointed. Sellers aren't really in a hurry to transact if the bids don't match their expectations. and so, it's definitely a slower market, even though there are opportunities arising. It's like, there's not, I think it just takes a lot longer for things to materialize than most people would expect. It's not like bang, you know, the bottom's here. You got a month, everybody's got a month to go buy.
1: Or, or everyone's yeah. got a month to acclimatize yeah. to the bottom, yeah. right? Like, it's not like somebody yeah. never and like, okay, we're at the top. Like there's a base camp for right? yeah. people spend time there to acclimatize. Yeah. And I think especially like
0: the, the reason I, I find this report, especially relevant to Canada is because like commercial real estate debt uh, in the U S resets quickly like Canadian real estate, or like like Canadian residential debt does, like you're not on 30 year terms, like yeah. in the like the US housing market is like so insulated right now because you have a bunch of people on 30 year mortgage terms. at in like, like the 3%. Like twos, I think, yeah. right? Yeah. Threes. So we, we will, like, we've got people here with it, with like, with those same rates, but they've got a year and a half left. Yeah. And so that, so we, so both US commercial real estate and Canadian residential real estate are, are kind of facing the same, like ticking time bomb. And so from my perspective, like the sense of urgency isn't, it, 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 doesn't appear immediately. Like it'll appear slowly over time as people start to come up for renewals and realize, cause like it, it's not, not only is it just a good opportunity or a good time to, to like a refi when you're up for renewal. Cause you don't have to pay a, um, a cancellation or, or a mortgage discharge. It's the same thing if you're going to sell, right? Like yeah. most people, people are most likely to sell when their mortgage is up for renewal. So. There are obviously cases, you know, the big the big uh, elephant in the room is office properties, obviously, and, you know, investment funds winding down, transactions could be more likely. Um, and it's not just limited to deals, like construction costs and labor shortage have added a lot to the complexity, which the report says. And I think, again, it's just like, as a real estate investor right now, you have to be paying attention to so many factors. Yeah, Like, if you're modeling construction are you modeling it based on the prices from a year ago or two years ago do you expect those to go up or down yeah are you like, modeling
1: it in today's prices or six months yeah. from now like
0: if you're saying yeah exactly because if you're saying oh yeah i you know i have a suite coming up for renewal in six months it's like well yeah you can you can guess with that you can go get a quote today yeah. and it's
1: going to be different in six can, months yeah it costs between five and 25 thousand dollars to yeah. fix it and and that'll affect your margin and it's not just you know guys like us like and, and other small cap investors that are kind of having these thoughts, Dan, it's it's according to the survey here, a lot of CEOs, a lot of real estate CEOs are either delaying deals or or changing them due to the economic challenges and the the volatility that they're facing. 56% of real estate CEOs who said they had either delayed deals or were considering doing so in response to economic challenges and volatility. So that's more than half of the decision makers out there in the market that are drastically pulling back or, or putting a stop to, to things altogether.
0: Yeah. it's, it's definitely, I think one of the, the, the big consequences of this, and you see it a lot in the States because it's like a balance sheet recession very much there where banks are contracting the size of their balance sheets. They're not lending out money. They're not issuing new loans. a like nobody really taking on new debt. And you're hearing that a lot in in Canada as well. I mean, you work in in the debt markets Mm -hmm. far more than I do, but when you talk, when you hear about the stuff that you're doing with John and, you know, and land bank, you take a new deal to a lender who would have been keen to take on, to, to, to be taking on a new uh, client, to bring a new client into their business in 2021. Now everyone's like, no, we're only
1: servicing existing clients. Yeah, um, I'd rather not. Well, even that 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 story I was telling you offline before, where we had a private mortgage come in, and, and you know, we had to take it to six different privates before <laughs> one person jumped at it. You know, not stuff, not behavior that you saw in the in the last few years, and and that's why capital uh, in the survey here was identified as one of the uh, key things for the future. This is, I'm going to read this from the report here. A key trend and issue is the outlook for capital availability in 2024. A significantly higher number of survey respondents expect various types of debt and equity capital to be undersupplied compared to 2023 and previous years, which will add to the financing challenges facing real estate companies and their impact to their investment strategies and their development plans in 2024. so pretty much saying exactly what we did right It's you know if you don't have capital, you're not doing the stuff that you're that you want to be doing whether it's putting a basement suite in, buying a duplex or building that new office tower. yeah
0: and and um, that came from the real estate leader at PWC Canada or and he went on to say that this year was all about capital. 2023 was all about capital. There's compelling da- data to show that scarcity of capital has impacted investment volumes. However, this creates opportunity as we saw many new private debt funds established that, ma- that take advantage of this unique moment in time. I
1: mean, you know, my, my mom used to say when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And oh, so the Hill originals were yeah, not a, just... And she was the first word. Season. She invented that one. She, <laughs> mom, thanks so much if you're listening. I know she is. She listens to every episode. What I'm a gem. Sure, yeah. So again, just one more piece here from the report uh, that I'll read directly, and then we can get back into it, Dan. Uh, There are many factors holding back industry activity, including interest rates, which are predicted to stay higher for longer, rising financing costs, and less capital. So that's a bad combination. You've got higher interest rates, rising financing costs, and less of that capital available to even pay higher interest costs on. This provide real estate players with an opportunity to consider ways in which they can add long term value, whether it's the adoption of transformative technology and construction, process changes and innovation, and the adoption of generative AI, which seems to be a recurring theme here. So enough of AI, Dan. Bring us back to the human world here. Yeah, so if we think about the human side of things, I mean one of the
0: big things that we're hearing about in Canada, um, and it does seem to be changing a little bit given the massive increase in temporary foreign workers that Mm -hmm. we've seen. um, Although we have discussed how not a lot of that is related to real estate labor. Barely any, I believe. Yeah, pretty much none. Um, But labor shortages are a big concern, right? So the construction workforce is aging. I think 20% of the construction wage uh, labor force in Canada is expected to retire in the next 10 years, which is like, that's, crazy, right? If you really think about that, that's 8% of the work, 8% of the total workforce is in in construction in Canada, 20% of that's going to retire. And we have to replace that somehow because we,
1: it's not like we need less housing. (laughs) No. And I mean, you know, I, I spent a lot of, I used to spend a lot of time on construction sites, whether it was housing or condos, I did institutional level stuff. And I remember when I was a young project manager, young project coordinator in my early mid twenties. And I'd have to go and tell these these steam fitters or or plumbers or carpenters, whatever, pick a trade. I've worked with all of them. And these guys were always double or even in some cases triple my age, right? And I'm I'm up there trying to project manage, you know, five guys in their mid fifties and they're like, Who the hell is this kid? And that was like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. You know, construction you go to on a construction site and there's there's more guys with with white hair than than there are you know, guys with with sweet haircuts. You know, like little, you, yeah, a little broccoli style on top kind of thing. We need we need the younger generation, oh, the bus and bus and no casters. Bu- we need the bus and busins in there to start. You know, busting their ass and, and start getting some work done. But you can't put a hard hat on the perm. That's why it sits on top. Don't you understand yeah. it? That's
0: <laughs> extra safety padding. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense, actually. Anyway, so let's built get, in hard. I don't even need them. Uh, let's get back to it. So, yeah, so CIBC put a report out that estimated that at least 300,000 construction workers will retire in the next decade. That's a huge number. That's crazy. And, uh, yeah, and remember, out of near half a million new Canadians, only 455 were skilled workers. So, skilled constru- construction workers. Now, I think 3% of the temporary w- foreign workers or 3% of non permanent residents were. Uh, work, worked in construction okay. but still that's I mean it's just like compared to 8% of total yeah. that brings not. us to a whopping 3.1% right yeah yeah, yeah. Three, yeah 3.01% I think
1: zero yeah right exactly and and I mean the industry is feeling the effects right it's not just the shortages but also the reduced productivity and the instances of you know not so great work being done right we've got uh I mean, you've seen reports and videos and stuff like this from across the country of new construction. It's called a deficiency list. So if you walk through a new construction unit, you'll usually do that with your real estate agent or someone from the, the building group. And they will have little pieces of green painter's tape and you'll go around and put that on anything that's not perfect. And like some of these rooms just look green at the end of it. I'm like, what is going on here? So it's not just the lack of work, but the lack of, skilled work, right? I mean, and that's not to say that the people that are building aren't skilled. That's just to say that there's less of them doing more work with less time. Remember those three circles, right? Cheap, fast, and good. You're not going to hit that.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely become a challenging landscape. And there, there does seem to be as a result of these challenges, like you mentioned, you know, kind of, I guess, necessity is the mother of invention, right? Mm-hmm. So there are some strategies that seem to be Emerging,
1: yeah, and liquidity seems to be uh, one of those strategies. Get liquid. The ability to generate liquidity puts companies in a better position to navigate uncertainties and pursue through these emerging opportunities that uh, the, the 209 surveyed professionals at ULI have identified. Yeah. And it's not just
0: about liquidity. It's also about being agile and creative and structuring deals. So we've heard a lot about, I like, I really think that this year is going to be the year of the VTB. Oh yeah. We definitely have to do an episode on VTBs again, revisit it. We, uh, you know, I just mentioned we did like an awesome last, I guess, last week's coffee shop for Mm. the realist.ca course on the community. And if anybody's interested in joining that, check out realist.ca. I think we're going to be increasing the price on it in, on the, only going month? up yeah i think I've, we've end got two June. or three increases yeah, end of throughout June. this year but yeah so check it check it out we'd, we'd love to have you on board and anyway so we did a lot about vtb and i think that, like that's one of the ways that you're seeing a lot of structuring debt mli select is another one and anybody reach out to nick if you're interested in mli select financing we've had a lot of people connect yeah. with us from the show about some great, mli some select projects yeah there's some really from, yeah from the yeah. show listeners across yeah, the country all over the country yeah yeah anyway there's there's a lot of different forms of commercial debt a lot of opportunity in the market for things like preferred equity and mezzanine financing mez debt basically being and we talked about this but you know the part of the capital capital stack that's somewhere between the equity or preferred equity if you have a uh, joint venture partner that's your preferred equity it's almost like a second mortgage on, yeah. on commercial
1: yeah debt. and just to build off that you're right din um you know finance is getting interesting we're starting to see debt funds gain popularity offering opportunities to provide credit and liquidity to others struggling with existing financing costs. And it seems like 2024 may be the year of the VTV, but it also may be the year of the debt fund.
0: Yeah, it is interesting because you're seeing a lot of that taking place in the U.S., especially with a lot of these debt funds happening. From my perspective in Canada, like I think we went through a period where we had a lot of debt fund formation mix, especially. Mm -hmm. And um, I think for us, it's a little bit like I would say, you're going to see c- contraction in lending for a lot of mix. Simone and I actually talked about this quite a bit on, uh, I did another annual episode profits. with them. Yeah. Yes. On the Canadian investor podcast, but about how I think you could see a bit of a redemption crisis in, in mix in Canada. And a lot of mix are going to be raising money, looking for capital to redeem existing investors rather. So I don't think their loan books are going to be expanding, but so debt funds, I think probably tapped out as a major source here, but I think like mono lines and like more creative types of financing. And then in in the US, you're seeing like tons of opportunity in the debt fund space because banks are, not like I mentioned earlier, banks just aren't lending. Yeah. Like they're like, they can't because they, they don't want to go SVB or I'm wearing a hat right now. If you're watching the recording on YouTube, it's signature bank, which yeah. is the, like they were doing tons of multifamily stuff. Right. So they're, yeah. So I, I would say that that's definitely gaining popularity and as long as they're optimized assets and favorite sectors. Like, you know, the biggest one I think in the U.S. right now is QSR actually, quick service re- uh, yeah. restaurants, which is awesome. Yeah, it's actually- I can't re- wait
1: till we start getting all those concepts in Canada. Well, I don't know if you saw this or not, but Shake Shack is opening I did see a that. store in Toronto. Yeah. So no need to go to California anymore, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, well, that's in and out No, sorry. Shake Shack's all over the place. But yeah, Shake Shack, delicious. Anyways, you're right, Dan. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Guess what? Real estate never is a one-size-fits-all approach. Business never is a one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, companies and individuals need to be carefully planning their moves and be strategic now more than ever. And this all goes back to your investment thesis. Does it work in these new market conditions, in this new era that... Uh, ULI and PwC are ushering us into through this report. If it doesn't, it's time to pivot and adjust and find one that does. Now, Dan, before we jump into your interview here, let's just have a quick, uh, there's a bunch of charts in here that I just want to kind of quickly touch on. Yeah, so... The
0: equity capital for acquisitions they're expecting to be undersupplied. Majority of of those surveyed expected to be undersupplied, whereas last year they felt it was more balanced. Mm-hmm. Debt capital is seventy four percent. Believe it'll be undersupplied oh, and crazy. yeah, which From is more forty
1: one to seventy four. Yeah,
0: and the majority the majority felt it was balanced in balance last year. Debt capital for refinancing, same thing. Seventy seven percent felt it was undersupplied, and compared to forty three percent last year. And so the remaining. plus thirty percent jumps in, in some of these, right? Yeah, like this huge. Well, that just shows. Huge, well, it just show, like, I think it, it
1: really shows you how bad capital contraction is. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, and and then again, just consumer sentiment based off of that capital contraction, right? Like, again, th- don't forget these are. The, these percentages are from real people and their opinions on what's happening, right? There's 209 yeah. survey respondents here. So yeah. when you see a 30% jump, you realize that consumer sentiment has, has shifted greatly.
0: And then the, the last one is debt capital for uh, development versus redevelopment, which from my perspective, I think in Canada, this is this reigns true for Canada, except for purpose-built rental, where in, in the purpose-built rental side, it's, I think it would be... It's supplied sufficiently because of MLI Select and that bond. We did a we did an episode where we discussed how the government put twenty billion worth of bond bonds into mm-hmm. uh, the market, and so yeah, like that. That to me is probably sufficiently supplying the market with capital.
1: For, I hope so. For I mean, a, I, I, rental. I, I can see that. them. I can see them having a, to fill that up again because, as, as we yeah, said, they right? For sure. it, it's gonna. It was only actually ten because it was also subscribed ten. Yeah. So. That's a okay, great point. Three more charts I want to get through before we jump in your interview here, Dan. And these were identified as issues that were deemed important for real estate in 2024. And uh, the good people at ULI and PwC split these up into three sections. The first one being social and political issues. The second being economic and financial issues and the importance they will have on real estate. And the final being... Uh, the importance of real estate industry disruptors. And I bet there's going to be some uh, uh, AI mentioned there. And then, of course, real estate and development issues. So let's quickly touch on these and then we'll, we'll wrap things up here, Dan. The social and political issues, housing costs and availability is of greatest importance. Is that a shock to anyone? I, I don't think so you know, working our way down. Climate change actually kind of uh, makes an impact here. 3.5 out of five as a uh, level of importance. Federal, uh, provincial and local government budgets and federal government budget deficits. Those are interesting, again, to me, again, not to try to get political here, but we've seen government incentives and 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 government fiscal, uh, kind of the GOC versus the BOC, which we've talked a lot about, you know, the budgets there are are out of whack and, and I think we need to really rein those in and, and reallocate some of those funds to certain things because we see if you go up that list, immigration policy is of great importance as well. You know, I, f- I feel like government budgets and immigration policy are directly intertwined at this point.
0: I mean, most of these things are like, you can say, oh yeah, we don't want to be political, but like the whole thing is like basically a commentary on how, like how important people are ranking a lot of political issues. So yeah. political extremism is next on the list and geopolitical conflicts are, are next on the <laughs> list yeah. after that. So uh, those actually both beat out income inequality, which is yeah. which is interesting and higher education. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, I mean, it says a lot about, um, I mean, it is social political issues. That's what the list. Is so it says a lot about what developers are paying attention to right now. Yeah, the next is economic and financial issues in twenty twenty four. So interest rates and cap cost of capital is leading. Capital availability is number two, which is obviously what the report shows. And then job and income growth is is uh, next on the list. And then you've got inflation, global economic growth provincial and local taxes, federal taxes. I thought taxes would be higher, but anyway, I think obviously inflation and, and then... The bottom
1: of the list, which no one seems to care about, currency exchange rates. Well, there goes my Forex yeah. dreams for twenty twenty-four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've getting trading. those DMs too. <laughs> Apparently I'm sending them. Yeah, so
0: last is uh, disruptors and then we'll we'll jump into the interview here.
1: Yeah, so uh, disruptors, which again is, is cool because it's a, th- a theme we've seen in a lot of the reports that kind of came out in Q3 and Q4 of, of this year. Construction costs being the number one one disruptor for uh real estate in 2024 the construction costs simply need to come down because labor is right right beneath them Um, labor and construction costs make things extraordinarily hard to to get done again higher up in the list we've got artificial intelligence and machine learning which could have a great positive impact on uh construction and then finally kind of in the middle list here we've got smart buildings and automation those have been around for for a while and are just getting are just getting better. But then at the very end, the very bottom, Dan, read read me these last two here. We've got was it three D printing and blockchain? Yeah, yeah. I thought three D printing would have had a bit more of. I mean, three D printing had its like heyday. All those like we can build this three D printed house, but I don't know if anyone actually wants to live in them. And then blockchain, you know, I, I remember seeing stuff on Instagram where you could buy. You can you know buy this house in Bitcoin, and of course it was a condo in Miami. So interesting stuff there. Another great report put out by uh, ULI and PwC. It, they they've go through a ton more stuff here. So I encourage everyone to go check out the report. They talk uh, report. They talk about housing affordability. They talk about investment prospects and markets to watch in Canada. And they've got a rating system for those they've got development opportunities in canada rated across the country uh and then more economic uh forecasting indicators yeah we'll put a link
0: to the uh report in the show notes make sure you check it out and um if you're able to uh to come to any of the uli events the uli toronto chapter is amazing it's one of the bigger um chapters in uli we'd love to see you there yeah Yeah. and uh, so let us know if you want a link for tickets or anything and then also the ULI spring meeting, uh, in New York city. So close to Toronto, we should, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, if you want us to put together a bus and bring down a bunch of people from <laughs> Canada, let's, we're happy to do it. So that'd be hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's definitely worth checking out. So we'd encourage everybody to check out ULI. They're great friends of the show. And, uh, I've learned most of the, the things that I've learned about real estate came from them and they kind of really set me on a good path of knowledge. I used to volunteer there all the time. And, uh, yeah, so, so we'd love to see you, uh, uh, out there at, at their events. Perfect. And now
1: without further ado, Dan, let's get into your interview here.
0: All right. Hi, Anita. Thanks for joining us here on the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. As our listeners know, and as you might know, we are big fans of ULI, the Urban Land Institute. We were fortunate enough to be present at their their first Canadian event in since the 80s and really enjoy the spring and fall meetings. Um, and one of the things that we really, really like that ULI puts out is the Emerging Trends in Real Estate Report. So that's what you're here to talk to us a little bit about today, as well as sort of the role of ULI in the real estate industry for our listeners. So if we could just start off quickly, having you introduce yourself, your role in the real estate industry and sort of your history there, and then what you do with ULI as well.
2: Sure. Um, my, my background before I joined ULI is uh, as a market analyst. And uh, I had the Great experience of having both public and private clients across the country in a full range of property types. So that's, that was my, my initiation into the industry and my depth in the industry. At ULI, I run a, a center called We Have Centers for, on, on Different Topics, and I run the Center for Real Estate Economics and Capital Markets.
0: Awesome, yeah, no, I appreciate yeah. that. So, um, in within that center, what is sort of the, the scope of, of the the research that you're doing, and the because um, I'm I'm a big fan of your work, so I, I know. Yeah. But I think, and a lot of our listeners, I mean, I'm one of the the more active analysts in the Canadian market as well. So a lot of our listeners come to hear about the the the, the data side of the industry, and so just. Curious, sort of, what kind of things you're researching right now, and and what you're finding as the big themes in the in the real estate industry.
2: Because of who our membership is, which is a broad swath of all the different kind of food groups in the industry, yeah, and, and many of the um, and so many senior members of the industry, my research really gleans their knowledge and collects what they know and and and, pack, and and interprets it and analyzes it and makes it available to the to the broader uh, membership and industry so uh emerging trends is a great example uh it's based on three types of of research one is one-on-one interviews with those senior members of the industry from all types of um Perspective. So, developers, owners, builders, investors, advisors, the full range of active participants in the industry. Those interviews are one of three, but they're uh, types of research, but they're so major because we're really listening to wh- how people are thinking, what they're thinking, and really trying to kind of um, parse out the new types, the new new thinking, and the new directions. So that gives us really um, a a strong, strong foundation for understanding what the emerging trends are, not just what's going on, has recently gone on or will go on tomorrow. Uh, The other two types of research with it for emerging trends, one is an extension of those one-on-one interviews at our district council's levels. Those are our local chapters across the country. They bring together their experts in their market, and they respond as a group and discuss a a range of questions similar to what we ask in our one-on-one interviews and, and provide that feedback to us so we get the depth of individual markets. And the third is a very extensive, and as one participant told me, grueling survey, online survey. I think it is probably, whereas most surveys are getting shorter, I think ours have, if not getting longer, have not, have not been reduced, but it's a wealth of information. And we were able to cover, to um, touch on an even larger group. So altogether we are gleaning knowledge from 2000, you know, close to 2000 senior real estate people.
0: And that would be, yeah. So, and that would be top executives at a lot of these organizations and funds investors and developers. Awesome. Okay. So, I mean, consider myself and the audience um, sufficiently intrigued then based on the people (laughs) that we're getting this information from and, and from yourself. So what, what would be the key findings then in this research that you that you determined? Did you like that segue? It was pretty good. Eh? That was it. Um, it. Was
2: very, that was very good. I, I also I didn't mention another product that is that is similar, but I don't know whether you about the R forecast. Yeah, um, sure.
0: Let's talk about a little bit about that. Is that yeah. included in this, or is it separate? It's,
2: it's not, but it but it is. If you want to talk about our key yeah. research, that is an important product. Uh, we have a we have another product called the uh, real estate the ULI real estate economic forecast, and that is although it sounds also it is also forward looking. So kind of altogether, the future of real estate mm-hmm. um, would kind of describe what my center does. This one is metric oriented, and it's ask. We have I have a pool of leading real estate economists and analysts, primarily from private companies, and uh, whose job itself in whose whose own jobs are forecasting for their companies. But we have on a a group of them who have committed to answering um, and providing their forecast twice a year on twenty seven different metrics. Real estate, uh, broad economic and real estate metrics. So that that is, and then we report the median. And you know, like any one person is important in their company, but we have it typically you know close to forty people, forty of them answering it at a particular time, given their time constraints. Yeah, and that that is something else that we provide. To our members.
0: Awesome. Well, maybe we can start with the forecast then, since we're at the end of the year, and we can say, you know, what uh, what is what is the real estate industry seem to think is we should be expecting heading into twenty twenty four. Yeah.
2: So I'd rather start with emerging trends. Okay. Let's do
0: that. And that's that's fine. Yeah. We so we can start today. What so what are the emerging trends? And then yeah. Um, yeah.
2: So so we always, well, we have 10. I, I can't say we always have 10, but we actually always aim for 10 because that seems to kind of fall out given how much information and and we've listened to and looked at. Uh, so this I would say um I'm not gonna go through each each of the 10, but I would say overall there's clearly, you know. Something that is, in one way, not surprising, another way, kind of finally has gelled, which is the impact of hybrid work on Mm -hmm. the industry. And that has touched so many of the trends, and the trends kind of all together paint that picture. So the hybrid work has, you think about it, has reduced the use of office overall. Far more in the larger cities and ones that are uh, more tech dependent, but also just quite large, maybe, you know, traffic issues people want to avoid. But that, that so it impacts the building itself. Right, the value of the building itself, the neighborhood around the building, the retail around the building, the the city revenues from from these buildings as as it declines, the the transit systems, uh, the portfolios of of major investors that once depended so much, you know, thought of uh, office as well as kind of the, the Fortress Mall, the two things have really had, were once the mainstay of the of reven, revenue producing core real estate. So that as a whole package has just really turned um, into something that we just see as this is the way it is. You know, yeah. we're not looking for that U-turn anymore. And the pervasiveness of the change, I, I think really stood out this year. And the what I just listed are, are kind of each in their own individual trends, but tied together by that impact.
0: So that seems to be sort of the overarching, most prominent issue with with the the industry that the industry's mm-hmm. focused on. On is it solving right now, like, or or just a, I guess maybe addressing primarily?
2: Yeah, it's addressing. I think right. it's it's recognizing and addressing. So I should step back, and of course. Overarching, overarching, of course, is the 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 higher interest for longer, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And, and slower growth together. So you can ignore that, and that's going to be in play for a while. So these other issues will play out maybe more slowly over time.
1: Okay, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you got a ton of value out of Dan and myself going through the report. And, of course, with the short interview from Dan and Anita at ULI. Again, I encourage everyone to go check out ULI. Get involved. It's one of these great organizations that puts on events and has a ton of resources. So go take advantage of those. Uh, If you have any questions, comments, concerns, I don't know why you'd be concerned, but if you have anything you want to say, send it over to the email in the show notes, and we love hearing from everybody out there. So thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037.
0: Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.